1: Hey, everyone. We recorded this podcast before the news broke of a really tragic accident at Carol Baskin's Big Cat Sanctuary in Florida. We just want to let you know that we do follow the news. We're not tone deaf. We're thinking of everyone involved, and we wish everyone well. And yeah, we stand by it. We're still Team Carol.
2: This is Rita from suburban Chicago. If you go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you can be like me. And get exclusive podcasts, videos, and more, like the time I
1: did Zoom yoga with Laura Brecker. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers on. crime writers on is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime pop culture other podcasts and this week a young filmmaker attempts to find his mother's killer we'll talk about hbo's murder on middle beach and we'll check out Nicole Kidman's latest attempt to sustain an American accent in the HBO thriller, <laughs> The Undoing.
3: Spoilers, alert, she does
1: Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and newly haircutted hunk, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. All you got to do now is like shave off that neck beard. It's a the little ne- weird.
3: Th- well, it's winter's coming, so <laughs> I'll still need the neck beard, but the rest of my hair has been... Managed to. Oh,
1: you walked in the house today. You went to like what supercuts or something. Yeah, I was shook when you walked in the house today. I did not know what I was looking at. It was really amazing. I don't look like
3: your father anymore. <laughs> you don't look like my father. Nineteen seventies hair. Yeah.
1: Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and licensed pet investigator, and certified cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara.
2: Hello! Thank you for adding my new title. I I graduated on uh, last week. It's very exciting. I'm so yeah. I saw your certificate on social media. It looks very official. I hope you're having it framed. It's- Super official. Well, I have to print it out first. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Did you get to walk?
2: <laughs> no, but my friends are going to come over and they're going to play kazoos and we're going to have a little ceremony in the backyard. Fantastic! Nice in the catio. <laughs> in the catio, <laughs> yeah. In the in the lanai catio, Yes. Nice. Yes.
4: Do you have a badge or anything?
2: I don't have a badge, Toby. Yet, just <laughs> yeah. a certificate. Okay. But it's a DIY sort of thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when I when I became a JP, which I let expire during the pandemic, by the way, Ken, I'm no, I'm no longer a JP. But when I became one, I was marrying my friends, which is why I became one. And I had to get like the fanciest stamp. And I got to have the desk plaque. Yeah. This is Rebecca Lavoie, Justice of the Peace. It's very important when you get something, even if you did nothing to attain
2: it, to get all of the accessories. It's very important. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: I'm looking at getting a vest. Yes. Get so... it. Get it. Um, yeah so all the other cat detectives when i watch the videos in my training they have these like um y- like vests with the yellow reflective tape Get kind yeah. of yeah and, like it's, and, and it says pet recovery agent. Get it. Is there a catalog or a -a catalog? I think it's going to be a pandemic crafting project. Unless one of our listeners wants to make me one. She's going to
1: be like the governor whenever he goes to like a storm site or something. They wear that like fancy like like rain jacket that has the governor's seal on. All right. right. (laughs) Finally with us our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and host of the Strange Arrivals podcast about you and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby.
4: Hola, Rebecca.
1: All right. Well, normally uh, we have our business section after the first ad break, and we're still going to do that. But I can't keep this in my pants. I can't.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's my line.
1: Laura Bricker, there is an amazing reason why people who are not on our Patreon right now may want to join because you interviewed... Somebody who I admire a great deal, mm-hmm. think was wronged, and, by the way, listens to this podcast. Laura Bricker, who did you talk to, and when is it going to be on our Patreon? I talked
2: to Carol Baskin. and <gasps> oh, now... uh, From Big Cat Rescue? From Big Cat Rescue. Nice. Um, Carol Baskin and I had about a half an hour Zoom call last week, and... I introduced her to my cat, Pippin, but that was not the purpose of our call. Um, (laughs) Carol heard I was a cat detective now, and she had a cat case for me. Uh, So we chatted about that. We chatted about what's going on new in her life, and um, it was really fascinating So talk to her. I cannot believe that you got to talk to Carol before I did. I'm so pissed. (laughs) 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 Well, I have to tell you, I was a little nervous. I had been emailing with her, and then I was like... What the hell? I was like, "Hey, Carol, can we just do a Zoom call?" And she's like, "Sure." Um, so she listens to crime writers on during her ten mile bike rides. Wow! And um, yeah, and she loves us. Um, she's been listening to us for a while, so it was kind of cool to hear that she actually listens to our podcast. Yeah, I can't she, believe she, she can't emailed
3: listens. us after the Joe Exotic podcast.
2: Yes,
1: after the first, if not the TV show, the podcast. Yeah, so she's yeah. been listening since then. Yeah, apparently. Yeah,
3: and she was upset with Toby. Oh, really? You remember <laughs> Toby? What? what the line was? No, f- f- feuds within a subculture. <laughs> oh, yeah.
4: No, it wasn't. She wasn't a feud on her side. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was kind of. It was really. Well,
1: that's the we thing. know that now. Yeah. I mean, for new listeners who don't understand, maybe why it is that we are so Carol Baskin friendly here, it's because all of us believe she's been horribly wronged by all of the media made about this whole. Tiger king, Joe Exotic, cat, a uh, big cat. We she's been wrong. She's just been wronged. We had a documentary in which we saw men on film, committing crimes and admitting to committing, committing crimes. And we have a woman who's like changed her life and is doing good work, who's being accused of a crime that there's no evidence she committed. And somehow that's what America took away from that documentary. Not okay. Not okay. Whatever you like think about Carol Baskin and Cat Rescue and all that stuff, she was wronged <laughs> by that documentary. And
3: we're going to hear from Carol later in this episode because <sighs> I understand that Carol has mm-hmm. a nominee for Cat of the
1: Of course week. she does. Yep. Of course she does. She now, Kevin, does. Uh, one little thing uh, that we're also going to talk about more later. Why should people join our Patreon now, aside from Carol Baskin?
2: Well, there's a
3: fantastic deal that Patreon is helping us with. They now offer an annual membership. So nice. instead of paying every month, you can pay once and commit for the whole year. If you do that, you'll save 10%. Nice. And everyone who does will get a telephone call of thanks from one of the crime writers, even me, even you.
1: I may call a person or
3: two. Yeah, we've been calling folks around. I've been do- doing it all this week, and it's really nice to chat with uh, different folks. And they give advice, and they tell us, you know, we should keep Toby no matter what we say. Ah, and nice. uh, yeah, it's been keep really talking fun talking to them. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk more about what's coming up in Patreon, but we wanted to let you know it's a great Christmas gift to give someone or. Give to yourself.
1: Give to yourself. I'm all about giving gifts to myself. I'm all about that. That's how you get what you want, is getting it for
2: yourself, right? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I I already bought my own Christmas presents this year, so I totally can get behind that. Nice.
3: Is one of them a a vest that says cat rescue (laughs) expert?
2: It it could be, Kevin. It could be. Or it could just be another cat. Yeah.
3: My advice is don't go with cat and limit yourself. Say, you know, (laughs) animal. animal. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Should we go ahead and start the podcast? Do it. Leading off.
0: We start with breaking news in Madison tonight where a body has been found in a waterfront home there. Police tonight are treating it as a homicide.
1: News Channel 8 first on the scene at Middle Beach Road. In 2010, Barbara Beach Hamburg was bludgeoned to death outside her Connecticut home. The immediate suspect was her controlling ex-husband who was due in family court that day for a settlement hearing. But when DNA failed to match him, the case went cold.
0: I just want to know... Why? Why that I can't? You? Why you can't even just talk to me? I know you want to know answers,
3: and and I know you want to know about your mom.
1: First, as a film student, and later as a professional documentarian, Madison Hamburg began interviewing relatives and investigating leads in an attempt to find why his mother was killed. Was it an act of revenge for a pyramid scheme, an act of rage by a troubled family member, or an act of greed in a mysterious financial web?
0: It was just women getting together, and it was all cash-based, and it was all terribly secret.
1: In HBO's four-part Murder on Middle Beach, Hamburg offers an intimate look at a troubled family and his own painful search for answers. Now, just to note, we recorded this episode before last night's series finale of Murder on Middle Beach, so we... As of this taping, do not know how the story ends. But if you want to remain spoiler-free for the first three episodes and maybe miss some of our wild speculation about what's (laughs) going to be in episode four, go to the estimated time code in our show notes. Now, Kevin Flynn, a college student allegedly making a film for a school project, interviewing some of his relatives about his mother's murder— do you think any of these relatives thought <laughs> that anyone would ever see these interviews? I mean, even at the end,
3: like, I mean, the, the later interviews, I still got the sense they were like, oh, Maddie, you're such a sweet boy with this hobby. You know, good luck with your see. <laughs> like, oh, only the professor's going to see it or He smokes
2: so much pot, he's never going to actually turn this thing in. He has all
3: these lights. The
2: grandmother who was like, I hope you get a good grade on this. <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> hope you get a four-part deal with HBO,
2: yeah,
1: Toby. What do you think? I mean, Madison ends up having conversations with his family through the frame of making this film. That I just kept thinking, like he probably wasn't having these conversations if there wasn't a camera present, right?
4: Yeah, I think so. And I, I really like this, and I think that's one of the things that was kind of appealing about it is that he is using the documentary as. It's really, he's trying to figure out what the story is in a way that he couldn't do if he was just walking around talking to people. Like, he needs to have that camera lens there to be able to ask questions like, did you kill my mom? Did you have anything to do with the murder?
0: No.
3: (laughs) I have to ask everyone. It's okay. (laughs) No, no.
4: When I first kind of knew what the concept was and the way they tease it, I was sort of dreading watching it. Because I think it could have been super depressing, but in fact, I thought it was really interesting. And I think, in addition to you know his kind of going around and talking to people and the facts of the case and the fact that there's all these potential stories that led to her murder, I think it's also interesting to see the way he interacts with these people uh, in his life who he knew growing up. You know his his aunts, uh, his estranged father. Uh, his sister, and how I feel like we get a pretty good sense of his perception of them based on his life with them. And he he doesn't like go out. It's not like open and blatant, but you do get the sense of who's like reliable and who's not reliable. And I thought, in particular, his sort of being protective of his little sister when her name comes up, and and his aunt kind of accuses her of it. it again, I thought was was gave a lot of insight into kind of how he views his family, which I thought was just super interesting.
1: Laura, what do you think about the access? I mean, Madison really has unique access to, like, all of the figures that are potentially in this story,
2: right? Yeah, and I think that is really what kind of sets us apart because, you know, a lot of times we watch documentaries and we get some access to like archival footage and that's, you know, helpful in sort of bringing a story to life as they're talking about things that happened in the past. But, I mean, he has all the old home movies and home videos and pictures and, you know, that level of intimacy that we would not be able to really understand without somebody like him that was you know right there in the middle of the family it was definitely interesting to watch him try to stay sort of like he stayed pretty even keeled even as he was out there talking to different family members hmm. you know like you never saw him i didn't think it like riled up he just kept asking questions in the same way but again it goes back to he had the access, but again, half of these people probably didn't think this was actually going to end up on HBO when they were giving him that access. Oh, they didn't. <laughs>
1: I mean, you know, so um, <laughs> you can tell they didn't bite what they're wearing even on camera. Yeah.
3: The <laughs> I can't imagine what some of them think when they look at that. Like the dad, yeah. like.
1: You videotape <laughs> me with that bar? Yeah, talk about that, well, Kevin. That scene I was have a, some questions about well, that. Well, that. that was in New York, yeah. which I will say is not a two-party or- consent state. It was in New York that not he filmed. him. No, he filmed him in New York. Okay. And I, I only know this because I, I helped work on a story where I work where it was a Lakeview story, remember, where that mother was making phone calls and taping them? Yeah. And you can secretly tape people in some states and not in others. And New York is one of the states oh. in which you can do that. I believe that's how he's able to that it included in the film, like legal would not have let him include it if it wasn't legal where he was doing it, right? I mean, this is an HBO. This isn't like a podunk network airing this thing. But Kevin, yes. what did you think of that? Because you can't say he didn't try, Oh right? my God, with his he, dad. His dad. Yeah.
3: No, I mean, we see it, I think at least three times where he kind of confronts him, not, you know, you know, in a way that uh, is both professional as a journalist, but also reasonable as a son, Wanting to know what happened to his mom. You could say something to mom. What would you say?
4: To your mother? I yeah. have nothing to say.
3: Anything. Nothing to say there? You know, it starts off where he, you know, in the very beginning, where his dad's like, Oh, your mom had a lot of secrets. And then we get the whole story of episode one of the dad and the mom's relationship. The fact that he was immediately a suspect yeah, and is a strong suspect, yep. and I think the only thing sort of eliminating him is DNA.
1: Oh, I don't eliminate him for well, a second.
3: Well, a lot of people say, like, oh, well, the DNA didn't match. Doesn't but matter. what we know, <laughs> well, we know two DNA things, and then we get this again, because he recorded himself with the cops. Yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah,
2: that was crazy. That's the part I was like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> What is happening? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I just don't I think he knew any better. So, in <laughs> any event, he got, you got great stuff. So, I don't want to
0: give you any false hope that the fact that you're sitting here means we're about to give you answers that you deserve.
3: You understand what I mean? I respect that. I want to help. And I
0: definitely don't want to hinder.
3: The cops told them about two things there was a cigarette butt, which was his, that they found outside near the body or whatever. Doesn't mean he was there recently. We know that he smoked. We know that he, while he was in college, though, that he lived there. So there's no telling how long, how old that cigarette butt was. Right. But they did test it. So they know they do have his DNA. Second thing was the DNA under the fingernails. What they said, not that it didn't match, they said it was of Hamburg family lineage,
2: hmm.
3: right? So ma- male lineage. So I, I think that it, while it doesn't exclude either... Madison or his father, it doesn't say that it's them.
1: Well, keep right? in mind, it doesn't exclude them. But he's hearing this from the cops who sure. are not going to tell him everything about what no, they that's know. True. I mean, I I mean, we'll we'll I'd like to I'd like for us to rampantly speculate about our theories a little yeah, bit later. Right. Um because boy do I have some. But Laura, you actually had a lot of questions about his methods, right? I mean, you were a private investigator, defense investigator. You kind of understand the ins and outs of talking to people and like what did you think when you saw him walk into that police station with that secret record?
2: I was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> I just, I mean, I didn't look, I should have looked up like, okay, that was Connecticut and New York and stuff like that. But I, I guess, you know, I know there's states where this is legal, but it just gave me the sense of like, he is so being so sneaky and like just like this undercover. Like, I would love to go undercover and record people and all that stuff, but you can't do it in New Hampshire, where we live. And also, even if you could do it, if there's something that just feels a little bit wrong about it to me, like it feels like, I guess I'm kind of curious what the police... Um, have had to say (laughs) since they found out that they are now on HBO. I mean, they definitely, you know, when you listen to it, it was like total cop speak. I mean, they're like, you know, I'm listening to them, I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, well, well, you're going to give us your tapes? Well, we can't tell you, but you can tell us and all that stuff. And it was like, even when they weren't questioning him as a suspect, it felt like they were questioning him as a suspect, that sort of thing. But I was just, I, I, I don't know, it just sort of gave me a feeling of like, Wow, you're really pushing the boundaries there to do this sort of uh, secret taping thing. Uh, but, but don't you know? forget,
1: he was a kid, and he still is, like, in some respects. Like, like he's, he's, yeah, a, but he's not a child. I know he's not a child, but the, is this, we, Kevin and I have this argument all the time about when somebody is a kid and when they're not. And I'm like, I'm sorry, when you're 18, you're not a fucking adult. You're not.
3: The law says you the are. The law says you
1: are, but your amygdala says you're not. <laughs> That's anyway, not what, well. That being said, Toby, what did you think of all the subterfuge that we see Madison engage in to get material for this? film.
4: You know, I think it's two different things with his dad and with the cops. Like one of the strong senses I get watching it is that he's used to the adults in his life disappointing him. Mm. And so I I feel as though he felt that his dad owed talking to him or or him being able to sort of document what his dad has to say, whether his dad likes it or not. And I don't think there's any definite yes or no answer to that. But that was just since I got there. The thing with the police, I mean, it was funny. I, I kind of thought it was funny, the conversation they have in the car on the way over. You know, it's sort of like, oh, why the fuck not? Um, <laughs> give it a shot, see what happens. Um, and, then the, and then the producer's like, oh, he's been in there for quite a while now. Um, <laughs> he might have been caught. So, <laughs> so, but again, like, I don't, you know, I don't really... I, I mean, maybe there's some ethical things there or whatever, but again, he's going into this going into this situation. It's his mom that was killed, and these cops are just trying to manipulate him. Right. And you know, I could see from his point of view, it's like, fuck yeah, I'm going to get him on tape. This is my mom. You know, I I am not a suspect. I'm not the victim, but I am a victim of what happened. And if these cops are are just going to be giving me a hard time, I'm happy to to have that on tape so so that's fine that's fine by me i mean, I, I
1: totally agree with you toby i think it, i would feel very differently about it if he were an amateur investigator or podcaster or even a journalist who parachuted into this story and decided to tell it for a documentary i'd feel very differently about it if his than, amygdala
3: was developed in a different no, no, way no no no
1: no then if he wasn't the victim's son
3: oh okay like he
1: does to me have a different not maybe like legal set of rights, but a different ethical set of rights, being the victim's son and ergo a victim himself. I think Toby's right on that. And I just kept thinking about, um, remember what I said about catch and kill when I speculated that Ronan Farrow tapes Everything, which I still believe he does, which is how he's able to like document so many (laughs) conversations. Rodan Farah was working at a place where things were fucked up, so he was sort of like a part of that. And so, him taping it is very different than if I just walked into NBC and randomly started taping people, right? Right. So that's how. That's very much how I feel about this. Um, Kevin, question for you. So we hear about this. So the, so the dad sort of comes up as a suspect and then in episode 2 it sort of lays out this financial scheme that the victim was involved in these gifting tables which were a big scandal sort of suburban ponzi scheme along the lines of, of the airplane game yeah. that we heard about in the dream Yeah What did you think of that and the fact that she was involved in that and all these people, including Jill, by the way, who I think went to prison for a little while, right? (laughs) She did. What did you think about that? And do you think it has any bearing on this crime?
3: Well, I I mean, uh, ultimately, I don't know. It seems that there are three theories of the crime. and One is the dad and one is um, that uh, a relative who, either under the influence of drugs or mental illness, killed her in a rage, which would either be... uh, Barbara's sister, uh, Conway, or Barbara's daughter, which I think her name is Allie. Yeah. Right. But the other one, which was episode two, was the fact that Barbara was involved in this pyramid scheme. And I think that Madison does a good job of trying to vet all three of the theories. And in some ways, I think he is working to exonerate his sister, but he, he plays it very even-handedly. I think he handles her the, very much the same way as... As anyone else, I don't think he gave her special treatment, but I think that he also put her up there for um, the viewer to see and to understand, you know, tell her no, her own words. I don't believe like I don't believe Allie so much. And she's like, oh, everything was great with mom. where you know, Conway is saying that, oh, she would yell and everything. I, I mean, that's that's way more likely for a teenager who has been going through some uh, emotional stuff that. You know, I'm, I'm more likely to believe, yeah, the doors were slammed a lot as opposed to, yeah, we just did everything together and la, la, la.
1: Both can be true.
3: Both can be true. times, can, both, both can, can be, true. be true. Right. But back to the pyramid scheme, I thought that, that was really... fat, And it wasn't sort of a tangential thing in her life, right? It was a big thing. So... Yeah, you can't dismiss it out of hand as, as being emotive.
1: Yeah. Now, Laura, I just kept thinking about MLMs generally. I mean, this is yeah. basically a pyramid scheme, which an MLMs are. And I just kept thinking, like, this is obviously a different kind of pyramid scheme that involves actual just cash. You know, it's like the airplane game, like I said. But- I don't know. I just kept thinking just because she's doing this, lots of people are doing it. Lots of people sell Tupperware or color street nails or those stupid leggings or Leah Sophia jewelry or whatever Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything about whether or not they are more likely to be a victim of murder as a result, except the idea that there was a lot of cash around sort of changes us a little
2: bit. What do you think of this this angle? I definitely thought that was an interesting avenue to explore. I mean, I, I hate to say when you watch this, you're definitely leaning pretty heavily towards the ex-husband. I mean, and and I yep. feel like that still. But that being said, I did sort of perk up during this part going, you know, you've got all of these like Connecticut housewives doing this scheme and you're looking at the map and you're realizing that this is like, you know, the way they use the illustrations to kind of show the magnitude of this scheme. And then hearing about how they were dividing up the territories and how there was some hard feelings and, and people that knew that, you know, oh, in this house there was like $90,000 or whatever it was. And then you know that Madison's mom was sort of like the queen of this, whatever, you know, dinner party game. I thought it was so interesting the way they named them. Yeah. The appetizers, the salads, the desserts. entrees, the desserts. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! I'm gonna totally make up like code names for something in my life. I don't know what it's gonna be yet, but I kind of I was listening to. I was like, keep it legal. So fun, (laughs) yeah. No, totally legal, totally legal. Uh, But you know, I think that it was good to throw. Although it was, to me, not as convincing, but like sort of this little red herring out there. Oh, let's look at these people in this this uh, multi-level marketing scheme. And, I, you know, I liked that, you know, he had access to the former attorney general and, you know. And now talked, Senator. Yes,
3: Roche, Blumenthal, Richard right? Richard Blumenthal, yeah.
2: Yeah. It just to kind of sense, this was huge. And then you find out one of Madison's aunts actually went to jail in this scheme. I mean, that is when you're like, well people went to jail. This is something where maybe, you know, but it was also crazy. I'm like, I'm sorry, but who are these people that are bringing $5,000 just to join a club? Like Rebecca? Well, they're
1: going to get 40000 back. I mean, it's just like when you send your chain letter, right, Toby?
4: I, I thought what was really interesting about that too was the argument that Jill and um, Barbara get into is because Barbara's trying to get one of their relatives who doesn't have the money and doesn't have the friends who she can recruit to get into the game so she's just going to pay money that she doesn't have and then she's going to fail and barbara's okay with that right she's she's like no this is fine and jill's like no there's no way she can succeed you're just screwing her and you also hear that barbara's getting like aa friends involved so it seems like in addition to the fact that there's this sort of Ponzi scheme going on, and it's huge, and they're among the ringleaders, and I think it's pretty strongly implied that Barbara was going to probably go to jail if she'd lived, is she's bringing in people who are going to lose, like who are going to be the people who inevitably don't get their money back. Right. And don't have that money to lose in the first place. So that was an interesting point to be making about – his mother and I don't know how much of it was was news to him. It seemed like it might have been. But again I thought I thought that was kind of insightful and in a lot of ways, like he doesn't come off as an angry person. Right. But this feels like a pretty angry documentary. Yeah it
1: does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does.
4: And you know, it's like every single adult who is in his life, except for his grandmother, who seems like she has her act together, everybody else has failed him. Right. In, in, in some way, big or small, and they all love him and he seems to love them back. But this is, you know, exposing a lot of like very difficult things about these people who are in his family.
1: I agree. And this actually brings me to an ethical question I wanted to ask you all. So I'm going to speculate. It is my opinion. Maybe episode four will bear this out differently. And this will be a horrible take by the time this podcast comes <laughs> out. It is my fervent opinion That the most likely suspect here is the father for several reasons. One is he had a hearing that day in their divorce, which the timing of her death and that hearing, you cannot ignore that. Plus, his behavior in refusing to discuss it the way he refuses to discuss it, specifically where he tells his child that his lawyers won't let him talk about it, is just so upsetting and disturbing to me. And I just can't imagine even somebody who did it who was less calculating would just lie and say, no, 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 I had nothing to do with it. But he won't even do that. And then also his father, we can't forget, despite the fact that he won that lawsuit, does have kind of a suspicious uh, record of his own with money and his jobs and like, you know, potential fraudulent activity and so forth. This isn't necessarily like a huge stand up guy. That being said, one of the ethical questions I had about this is if Madison suspects one of these people over everyone else, which I think it's reasonable to say he probably does. Uh, or even if he doesn't he has put his all of the members of his family on film in a serialized thing that comes out episode by episode and sort of put each of them in the frame as potential suspects episode 1 it's his dad episode 2 it's you know the MLM stuff and his mom is the most culpable and then he has sort of conway who that's another whole story what do you guys think I'm curious about kind of the ethics of a family member who maybe or maybe doesn't suspect another family member of being the main person in the frame who's willing to put like their sister in the frame for viewers to decide for even just a minute. What do you think, Kevin?
3: Well, like we always say in nonfiction, you either betray your subject or you betray your audience. Yep. And he is not betraying the audience. Nope. <laughs> right. <Not at> all. <laughs> and he's showing what he's discovered and what he's learned. I-, I don't think, I don't think. He's presenting a distorted picture of the rest of his family, but I think he, like I said, I think he's trying to give sort of equal time to these other theories that it could have been somebody else.
1: Well, the family gives them equal time, right? Yeah,
3: you know, and so uh, you know, again, is it would it be a very uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinner? Thanksgiving Zoom dinner? But
1: Conway a Christmas card?
3: (laughs) No, no, but still to hear people talk. I mean, even if it was. Seven years ago, yeah. remember when you know your crazy aunt blah blah blah. Yeah, but uh, you know, to your just one other th- follow up. It looks like from the promo for episode four, which everybody already watched. Um, like they're discovering some international financial documents, and dad always was. To the
0: dad
1: dad yeah. was always
3: an international traveler, and, and where did the fuck did his money he go? He made
1: foreign bank accounts,
2: which was James in episode one. And it would be
3: a great motive, but I don't know.
2: Uh, what do you think of the ethics of that, Laura? I think it's a good year that they had a Zoom Thanksgiving, <laughs> <laughs> And they didn't all have to be in the same house together. Well, I think it's interesting because I think that it does put it in a different light than if it, say, was like an independent filmmaker who's like, well, these are the suspects and this is who I think did it. In a way, I think it gives him a little bit more freedom to put out who he thinks did it because he's Connected to the case, so it's it's definitely it's burning some bridges with the family. I, I would think going down the road in light of him moving ahead with this documentary project. But I do think that when you are personally involved, that gives you a little bit more permission, maybe, to say what you think happened.
1: Yeah. What do you think, Toby, about the ethics of sort of putting family members in the frame when you may or may not suspect one of them is more culpable? or is culpable and the
4: others are not it's hard because i feel like in some cases they put themselves in the frame yep like i don't think conway he didn't have to do much with her like (laughs) she just kind of came right out and said it
1: no i just want to be like conway please stop talking conway ask for a lawyer for god's sakes
4: i mean she did a lot of work for him she she did the work on herself she did the work on Allie. Yep. And then he was supposed to just like, ah, it doesn't, I don't see this this working.
0: But my ulterior plan was to get all my money out of my 401k plan and uh, get revenge against my baby sister, your mother, your father, and both of you. You and Allie. How? I wanted to hire a hitman.
4: So I... Again, I I come back to the thought that, you know, there's a lot of anger in this. And I think he's, it seems to me that from his standpoint, it's more exposing stuff rather than than putting people in frames. It's tough, man. I mean, this family dysfunction is playing out with one member of the family, just kind of laying it out there for everybody. And quite honestly, you know, he and his sister were, you know sort of the secondary victims of the murder of their mother but i think we're also the primary victims of a completely messed up upbringing where their father was estranged their mother and seemingly everybody in her family except for the grandmother were alcoholics <laughs> or drug abusers and you know there's a lot of neglect and then when the mom cleaned up then she got involved in this crazy gifting table stuff yep. so yeah, I mean, ethically, it's probably a little bit weird, but from his standpoint, I feel like I I get it, yeah, and I don't necessarily blame him. You know, I, I'm sure he's kind of like, yeah, well, it's kind of chickens coming home to roost, right? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. it's karma.
1: Yeah, I did love your note, Toby, uh, where you said. It is fairly weird that a fairly normal upper-middle-class Connecticut woman would have multiple people who could have conceivably murdered her. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. It is weird, isn't it? (laughs) It's a little weird. It is. All right. I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Murder on Middle Beach on HBO and HBO Max? If they haven't already,
2: I'm going to go around the horn. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Laura Bricker, what do you think about Murder on Middle Beach? Yeah, I'm going to say thumbs up and you should watch this. I think, you know, we watch a lot of different documentaries about murder cases and unsolved murders from different perspectives. And in this case, you know, it's told through the eyes of the sun. We have access to all of the family members, lots of archival footage, really interesting to watch this story unfold. So I would say thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you?
4: You know, I think I've said before that I sort of feel like the true crime documentary formula has been kind of... They've cracked it. Like they, they figured out how to make these things, and so every all these documentaries are very well crafted, and it often comes down to how compelling the story is or whatever. So that's why something like Trial Four, which I like quite a bit, but there's a certain sameness to a lot of them in the in the feel, and this is not like that. It does in some ways fall to those conventions, but it's. It's so different in so many other ways. I, I like this a lot more than any documentary we watched in quite a while in sort of the HBO, sort Netflix style. So I, I give it, a, I give it a really big thumbs up. I, I'm looking forward to the to the final episode. And again, I you know there might be some parts that aren't as good as 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 what some like larger budget, bigger documentaries have done. But I think just the fact that it, it sort of breaks the mold or doesn't fit into the mold is also sort of a plus in my book.
1: Kevin Flynn, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Murder on Middle Beach? Yeah, I'm going to go thumbs up.
3: I'm not usually excited about sort of these personal narrative, you know, there was a crime in my family and this is how it affects me kind of stories, just because that part is really not unusual, right? That it's it's a tragedy and it's something that you you go through. So when it's like, oh, I'm going to investigate my mother's death, I'm kind of like, okay, fine. But, uh, he does a really good job, both at the investigation part, um, the craft of the um, shooting the documentary and putting it together, and as someone who inserted himself just the right amount into the story. as a crime story, I mean, it's kind of basic, as far as, you know, different things that we've talked about, but Adding this element of it being a family member and the access that he has, you know, makes it a little, a little different. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to uh, make sure I see that last episode. So thumbs up.
1: Yeah, this is a big thumbs up for me, too. I actually think Murder on Middle Beach is only partially about the Murder on Middle Beach. I think it really actually is a study of an American family. Anybody... If they start interviewing their relatives, don't have to do it for very long if it's an honest interview before you get to something super fucked up. I mean, that's just the way families are, right? Like you can talk to your mother and she'll talk about one of her siblings or something that she did as a kid or whatever. And you're just like, what? Everybody has some sort of dysfunction in their family. This family arguably maybe has more than others. I don't necessarily think so. But that's what makes this so good is that it's so recognizable, like the parental estrangement, you know, the nutty aunt, the people who are just indulging the kid who, um, you know, I I don't want to like besmirch Madison, but he lets us know like he was on the wrong path for a while. He was sort of like having a hard time himself and really sort of struggled through his adolescence and young adulthood. He's come out the other side of it and he's really examining Not just who killed his mother, but how he was made. And I find that affecting and cool. And I love the way the amateur footage is woven together with the more professional footage. I just think it could be so dumb and ham-fisted and silly, but it really, really works for me. So big thumbs up for me for Murder on Middle Beach.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call.
1: All right, Kevin, now it's time for the business section of the podcast. Mm. We've already talked about some of that. What do we have going on on our Patreon right now, Kevin?
3: Well, we have the Crime Riders on After Show, where we're going to talk a little more about Laura's behind-the-scenes interview. Behind-the-scenes of the scenes. Uh, with her uh, interview with her Carol new Baskin. friend Carol
1: Baskin. Yeah. So jealous.
3: Yeah. We also have a.
1: Wait, wait. One other thing in the after show. Yeah. It's going to be very Laura centric. We're going to be at Laura's <laughs> first case. It's a professional pet detective.
3: Ah. Yeah. yeah. She says
1: it's sad, but I'm still interested to hear about it. Okay. What else have we got, Kevin?
3: Well, we also have a. Uh, uh, right now, a fresh episode of Leave It to Bricker where Laura is investigating the mystery of the church cat. Yeah. And later this week, uh, we'll have uh, Laura's conversation with Carol Baskin. Toby's deep dive book club podcast uh, is out with uh, their discussion of the big goodbye. Yeah, and it was a really good conversation. We'll have a little more from uh, Mary with podcast in Are the coming we? days. Sure. Are we going to
1: have a new Mary with podcast? I love making Mary with podcast. I can't wait to talk about your haircut <laughs> with all those people. So, Kevin Flynn, uh, before we wrap up the business section of the show, and we should, by the way, while we're in the business section, yeah. just thank all of the sponsors who have continued to sponsor podcasts during these economically troubled times. They're
3: listening and they appreciate that.
1: Really, thank you to all of our sponsors, to every company who's continued your advertising and marketing. This is these are tough times. I got to say like a lot of shows like ours, we've seen our downloads go down like precipitously because people aren't driving to work right now and they're not commuting by train. And our sponsors have really stuck by us and I really just want to thank all the advertisers who continue to place ads in the show and mostly all of our listeners who've been letting advertisers know that they bought something because they heard about it on the show. You don't, you guys don't understand how much that helps us. It's a really big deal. Our agency sees it. It helps keep us in business and helps us make this podcast. So thanks to our listeners. Thanks to our advertisers. Kevin, who are our Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
3: Our Patreon patron saints are Mariah Reynolds, and Les Blackmore. Ooh, bless you. Bless you. I talked to both of them this week. You did? Yeah, they're both wonderful people. How
1: are your phone calls going? Oh, they're
3: great. People love hearing from me. I know Laura and Toby have a list of folks they're going to be calling. I got a list. Yeah, will you get on that for Christ's I will. Sake? I, I will. hope by now you've made all those phone calls.
1: I hope by the time this podcast drops, yeah. I have made at least some of those phone yeah. calls. For a lot short. of folks,
3: we're trying to catch up. So
1: yes, and everyone's so nice, right? No one's creepy. No, no, I know. it's creepy. It's so funny. I always dread meeting people. It's not because of I don't like people. It's because I always think you I'm dread. not. Yeah, I do. I'm I'm an extrovert who's secretly an introvert. So whenever we go to a thing and we're going to meet fans and people, I'm always like, oh god, this is going to be terrible. It's never terrible.
3: I love that because they're so nice. It's
1: always amazing. Yeah, it's always amazing, and I always become real friends with them in real life, and we end up DMing all the time. So. Yes, we're gonna make our phone calls. Yes, we're gonna talk to you. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. And if you want to hear more about Carol Baskin, head on over right now to patreon.com/slash partners in crime media. And thus ends the business section. Kevin, I realized you forgot to sing the business section theme. Exactly. All right, we're fading that music out now. Moving on. It was
2: Eleanor. What? <sighs>
1: She was found dead. What happened? There's been no official word. At first I heard aneurysm, but
0: what the school is being told is that she was murdered.
1: Grace Fraser's life is upended when the mother of a student at her son's Manhattan private school is brutally murdered. As the media devours the story, Grace cannot understand the previous attention paid to her by the victim, nor does she understand why her husband has left the city with no way to contact him.
0: Hi, it's Regency at the Arcade.
1: Um, Jonathan Fraser, please. Is he a guest? Yes.
0: I'm sorry, I'm not seeing a Jonathan Fraser. Would he be under another name?
1: Dr. Jonathan Frazier is a compassionate pediatric oncologist who looks just like Hugh Grant. But police (laughs) tell Grace he's been keeping secrets about his personal and professional lives. Is it possible the man she married is a cold-blooded killer?
0: I went to a bar to collect myself, then I I went back to confront her again. She was fucking dead.
1: She was dead. Nicole Kidman leads the cast in HBO's six-part thriller The Undoing, which also stars... Hugh Grant, as a guy who looks just like Hugh Grant and Donald Sutherland. It shows us a world his of crazy eyebrows. <laughs> it shows us a world <laughs> of New York's elite turned upside down. Despite its striking locations, real estate porn and A-list cast, does The Undoing deliver the satisfying murder mystery it promises? Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for The Undoing, so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down. Review. I'm sorry, Kevin. I know that I always ask you a question first, but I just have to say something. Yeah. Was this not the worst... American accent-a-thon of anything (laughs) we have ever watched ever I I know that we're all looking for the Nicole Kidman terrible accent because I've talked about it so many times yeah but I'll just tell you you know the woman on Mindhunter who plays the psychiatrist yeah she's Australian and I'm, I'm watching an Australian TV show right now that she's in she's full Australian I had no idea she was Australian when I watched Mindhunter. It's
3: possible. It, it is possible. It can be done.
1: Hugh Jackman can do it. All those Hemsworth brothers can do it. Like that lady from Mindhunter can do it. I don't understand why Nicole Kidman can do it. And the worst, Kevin, was Douglas Hodge. Who's that? He plays the public defender that has this ridiculous, maybe Brooklyn accent.
0: Don't be talking to nobody anymore franchise is populated with reprobates, they're going to improve their plight. Any information they can glean from you might reap dividends, and not to you. Well, I would only tell them that I'm innocent. Innocence is good, and saying nothing is better. What was that?
1: He's actually English. That's what it was. But also the DA. Yes. The
3: prosecutor. Is Danish.
1: Yeah. She's Danish, and she sounds Danish. But at the end, she sounds American. Well, she goes back and forth between sounding like she's in the cast of Borgen... And sounding like right. she's an American <laughs> prosecutor. So can we just As all long as agree? we're on
3: minutia, yeah. Can we start with the uh, the theme music?
1: Oh my god, the opening credits make no sense. You know sense. who well, sang that? She wrote it. Nicole it's Kidman. Nicole Kidman. No, she didn't write the song. She sang, she it. sang it's a classic oh, song. I thought she wrote it. No, it just
3: doesn't fit anything about this story.
1: Nor does the visuals is, in the opening credits,
3: which is kind of indicative of the whole series. That was Nicole
1: Kidman singing. <laughs> yeah, dream a little dream, dream a of little me. dream. You're yeah. kidding. The other thing too is the whole opening credits feature this little girl, which makes you think there's going to be some storyline that has to do with Donald just, Sutherland, her it just, dad. It's Nothing. just
4: plucked out of the wrong thing.
1: Nothing. Okay. Now that we've uh, burned, <laughs> there's the <things>. more to <laughs>
4: acting than doing accents. Oh, there it is. It's singing.
1: But one other thing that really bothered me: Nicole Kidman never carries a fucking purse in this TV show and that but is she ridiculous has,
2: she has really nice like long what, what ridiculous call outerwear coats yeah they're very fancy i'm done with nicole kidman being cast in the exact same role in all the hbo shows i think that's what i was what's, like what's oh, that role it's another uh wealthy woman whose husband turns out to be not who he's supposed to be and she's shocked and she's horrified but she's trying to stand by him blah 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 okay yeah. Now, Toby, you feel
1: like in one of your notes that this is a throwback in some ways, The Undoing. What did you mean by that?
4: It just reminds me of a lot of the kind of thrillers from the 80s and 90s where Richard Gere would probably play the <laughs> Hugh Grant <laughs> person or or, or possibly uh, uh, Michael Douglas. Yeah. And, you know, it's not really a mystery. and It's not like a procedural or anything like that, but it's, you know, something messed up happens and then a person has to figure out what's going on and- you know their various red herrings or whatever but yeah. it seems like there was like every once in a while i find myself like looking for a more current one that's like that like i'm just in the mood for a thriller and i and i just realized they don't really make them as that much anymore yeah. whereas back in the day it was just like constant. It was like nonstop. It's yeah. like, oh, oh the here's, hand one that rocks the cradle. here's one with Ray uh, yeah.
1: Leotta. Here's one with The one with uh, Glenn Close uh, murdering the oh, rabbit. Oh, yeah, with the rabbit. The basic one, against,
3: not basic Yeah, yeah the, one with Jer- the one with Jeremy
1: Irons, where he plays the creepy gynecologist twins. Yeah, Ted uh, yeah. Wingers, <laughs> Internal
4: Affairs. I mean, you can just go on and on. There's so Harrison many. Ford, Richard Gere by the was way. in like four yeah. of them.
1: Yeah, Harrison Ford was in a couple of them. And-
4: Frantic, he was in. <laughs> which is a Roman the one, Polanski? Was it
3: Jeff Bridges? who was on trial and he's acquitted. And at the end, you find out he, he was that he was actually the no, that was, was Edward
2: murderer. Norton. Edward Norton no, with no, Richard Gere. Yes, yeah, no, that was but the a last one.
3: scene. I think it's I don't know if it's Glenn Close or somebody like that. Some 8 list actress like he's wearing a leather mask and they, he's like it's been the bad yes. guy all along and shoots him in and takes it off. Sigourney Weaver anyhow. was in a bunch of
1: these, too. She was in the one, was it Copycat, where she was like an agoraphobe? Those were yeah, all yeah, yeah. better than this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Let's cut to the chase.
1: Now, Kevin, one of the things that you loved about the yeah. show was the location porn. Talk about why.
3: Well, again, it's something other to talk about than the actual story here. <laughs> well, actually, your, uh my sister-in-law, your sister used to my live- sister. Lived a block- Literally. Uh, south, one block south of where that location was. So we
1: saw my sister's apartment building, old apartment building in the background of yeah, many so shots. Yeah, so I'm like, oh
3: yeah, that's Fifth Avenue and that's Central Park and that's the entrance and we're like, isn't
1: that 100 and... hospitals Hospital know, is right we there. We know
3: one little section of New York really, really well and it just happened to be that one.
1: Yeah. So.
3: But it is a very Tony type of, uh, part of part of Gotham there and, you know, the access to Central Park and that, you know, the reservoir and all that other stuff, so... Uh, yeah wonderful uh, wonderful visuals the whole thing was shot very beautifully
1: so i have a question about some of the characters and plotting right we have some great actors in this we have janelle maloney playing the woman who's hosting that tea party at the beginning where yep. she's to of the fundraiser of course she would play donna in the west wing she's a wonderful actress we have donald sutherland great i'm going to correct myself Canadian actor who's been in a million things. Uh, We have Edgar Ramirez as the main detective. I feel like all of these actors were totally wasted, either because they were barely on screen or because in Donald Sutherland's case we get teased this very complicated relationship between daughter and father where most of their interactions happen over a chessboard. She refuses to ever ask him for money. We don't really know why. There's some sort of mystery around their weird beach house. Like, none of that is ever explained. Toby, did you find yourself thinking there were a bunch of threads here that were going to be part of the story that then weren't?
4: So I I think especially with with, uh, Donald Sutherland, there's this one part where he's talking about how he was serially unfaithful to his wife, Nicole Kidman's mother. And you think that there's going to be something to do with that and like his antipathy for Hugh Grant or or whatever, but that just never really kind of plays out. The whole thing just seemed like missed opportunities to me. It's like the setup was i guess fine and you certainly had a lot of potential for like a little bit of satire about like the upper class and the working class kind of colliding hmm. in this thing but they they just honestly don't really do anything with it it's it just kind of dropped and you know, in the end, it's like, what does Donald Sutherland really do to move the plot forward? He is like, a helicopter. What, what is his, That's what he What does. is his role? Yeah. In some ways, it was, like it was to fil- facilitate the helicopter chase at the end. If he's there, why not have him drive the plot a little bit? He doesn't yeah. drive the plot at all. Well, Even when you think there might be the opportunity for him to do it, it just doesn't happen.
2: So, this is based on a book. And so, I went and looked up the like, you know, Wikipedia synopsis of the book. And they followed the plot of the book pretty accurately with the show. Uh, But it sounds like in the book, it was more a question of how does a woman rebuild her life when her whole life has been a lie? And how does she move on from something like this? Which is more of the after to the plot that we saw in the show. So, You know, it stayed true to the book, but that didn't necessarily translate to film in terms of. Keeping us guessing, and there was like I don't know if you guys followed. Like all of a sudden, all these celebrities started watching the show, and if you're on Twitter, people were like, "Oh, who's it going to be? Who's the killer?" Da 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 And there was like all they literally these po- told us who it was going to be at the and beginning. And I was like, "I'm like it's Hugh Grant," and people were like, "No, it can't be." I'm like, "No, it's the obvious. It's Hugh Grant. She's a therapist. She didn't know that her own husband was like this. That's the twist." I think people were waiting for this, like, they were thinking it was going to be this, like, great reveal. And I'm like, no, this is not an episode of Vera. This is a shitty show.
3: No, I, I mean, I agree. It's like the story was feeling like it wanted to go somewhere, but it never really did. Because they do hint at a lot of things. But then, like Toby said, nothing becomes of it. I mean, there's Elena's obsession with Grace.
1: Elena, the artist.
3: And the artist. Whose
1: art we never see.
3: We don't really, you know... She's, <laughs>
2: Except for the picture We, of we see the picture. I was going to say, we see the <laughs> naked picture. Whew.
3: Yeah. But what of that? None of these threads get tied in the end. They just were sort of out there. Like, the detectives are very pushy, and he was squirming on the stand. Is he dirty? Is he a son- it, Nothing happens with that. Uh, Franklin, he does that scene where he tells the, the principal that he's a cocksucker, you know, the old school kind, or whatever, but he doesn't do anything, right? He's not really threatening, he, Basically, it's just, hey, we're going to throw Hugh Grant out there, and we're going to make him be Hugh Grant. Yep. And we're just going to see if people won't think he's the killer. We're going to let him That's be all...
1: British, by the way. He like, uses regular yes, accent. Yeah.
3: Maybe his, his American accent is so bad that they couldn't even <laughs> <laughs> take it. But that just seems to be the theory here, is we're going to get him super charming. And it'll be like, no, the guy from Nodding Hill couldn't possibly have killed her.
0: We're not having tell him. Tell him. It's the dog. But why, again. Dad? We can't have a dog. Because, as I've said before, all dogs make my throat close up. So no air gets to my lungs, which makes me die. So it's, it's undesirable.
3: And they just never, ever give you a reason to doubt that. They right. never give you any plausible other explanation, something to lead you down any kind of road.
4: I kind of feel like the direction for Hugh Grant the entire time was, remember when you got caught with that prostitute and then you went on all the uh, <laughs> the talk shows? Just like act like that.
1: <laughs> Sex worker, but point taken. Keep going. But, the, but then the other thing is...
4: Uh, The the whole thing when Kevin was talking about the like missed opportunities, so the way that Elena acts towards Nicole Kidman when she's alive is so strange and sort of provocative. I was trying to get a handle on what was going on there, and that seemed like another thing that might be kind of interesting. Is like what what is she trying? Is this like some kind of weird head game she's playing, or you know what, what what's what's going on? And then in the end, it just comes across as like, I really think we could be friends. I mean, I think she could be really good for our kids.
2: How are you? I'm I'm
3: well. Good.
2: Thank you so much for making me feel so welcome. Like the other women. I don't know, I felt
4: like an intruder.
2: But you make me feel at home, so thank you.
4: What? Like, why did you kiss her and like stand in front of her naked in a locker room for a while, and you know, sort of passive aggressively start nursing the baby at the like all this stuff was just so odd. Of course, you'll be friends with somebody that shows you her tits, her beautiful, you know. And it's, yeah, it's like, oh, oh I God. think we could really be good friends. It's like I, I just I didn't understand that at all.
1: No, I totally agree with all of that. All of those unexplored opportunities. How
3: come uh, if he had that bloody hammer? Yeah. Why did he put it like in that little fireplace and not? I don't know. And not the, the ocean? Fire?
2: No, the ocean that's right there? <laughs> yeah, no shit. Take like three more steps and toss it. Where, where do you think
3: you could get rid of it possibly?
2: <laughs> so, Laura, one redeeming
1: character in this whole thing is amazing defense attorney Haley Fitzgerald. Uh, perhaps Haley Fitzgerald is the only normal person in this whole thing who calls it like she sees it and is like, what the fuck?
3: People hire me to create muck. Muck up the state's case so they can't meet their burden. That's what I can give you and your husband.
2: Muck. What did you think of her? She was awesome. And I think that, you know, I was watching this and I was thinking, you know, at one point this was a what money will buy you sort of when you're from, like, First of all, you know, obviously the father funds this, this lawyer, and by the way, he just happens to also have two million just sitting around for bail. But that character, I just felt like she was the one that spoke the truth and called these people's bullshit when they were doing all this stupid shit that they shouldn't have been doing because they're like, well, the law doesn't apply to me or whatever. Like when they went out to eat dinner in the middle of the trial at a restaurant, but she was just like, no- <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that just, what, what's wrong with these people? So I, lo- I love that character. I'm glad that we saw as much of her as we did. I loved at the end when he was getting all mad and she was just like, she said, well, we're here because you didn't fucking get rid of the, you know, hair weapon. Yeah. yeah. So no, I thought that was, I thought that was great. And I just loved that it was a woman in that position as well. Yeah. Kevin, you had some issues with the media coverage of both the crime <laughs> and the trial in like, this show.
3: Like I know it's it's fiction and in real life it, it's a mystery to me as to why some crimes capture the national attention and other ones don't. Um because I've been involved with, you know, different cases that I was certain were going to be on 2020 and other ones that for some reason I don't know why the 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 Dartmouth killings were as big as they were. And in any event, the idea that if this were all of a sudden the lead story, that the angle would be, oh, my God, the mother at this prestigious school. (laughs) Let's all go to this school. And there'd be a gaggle of about 50 reporters shouting every day. At a school. Every day. The next day, it's deleted. Go to back to the school. You didn't get anything yesterday. Shouted people another day.
1: <laughs> At the school. Every fucking
3: day, go to the school. And
1: meanwhile, Nicole Kidman is walking up next to her apartment, and there's no one outside the protected <laughs> murderer's apartment. Until there is. Yeah.
3: Uh, I just like, oh, that would never happen.
1: And you also had issues with the media coverage of the trial, didn't you? They were just well, like-
3: Well, it also it leads into this whole thing about- there's there's no twist. There's no surprise to this. Yeah. In fact, even the uh, you know the news coverage, the analysts are like, "Well, oh, oddsmakers in Las in Las Vegas have stopped taking bets. Doesn't look good." <laughs> they keep telling you, "Yeah, he's gonna go." Looks like he's gonna get convicted. He's probably gonna get convicted. And then what happens? He gets convicted. Yeah. Like, uh, well, we assume yeah. he did it, but it was like, what is the payoff? Yeah. That I was not supposed to be fooled, and I don't know.
1: Toby, who do you think had it worse as a kid, Henry from The Undoing or the real-life kid, Madison, from the Murder? <laughs> Middle <laughs> Beach? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, from Madison, obviously, because it's real life, but Henry, yeah. man... He has to play the violin, which he says he enjoys, but he's terrible at. His wife, his mother, never carries a purse, so you know he's never had a snacks or a tissue his entire young life.
3: They're like,
4: "Man, this violin case is super heavy." (laughs) Yeah, he's looking around. It's his father's murder weapon from place to place.
2: And he just wants a uh, dog. He just wants a dog, a hypoallergenic dog, a doodle,
4: (laughs) which is what my my sister's got a doodle. So I I actually thought both the kid actors were really good. Yeah, I I thought that the the kid who played Miguel, I I thought his uh, scene when he's in the dock. I mean, he did a really good job. I thought that was. I I imagine that was a tough scene to act. Mm. So I thought the kids were good actors. The the way it ended, speaking of Henry, where they go on that ridiculous car thing and they're going to go and get like albany oysters or whatever i don't know what that is and and then it's like, like he code stops or something he stops on this bridge on which there's no traffic at all for some reason and then he jumps he's like i'm gonna jump i'm gonna jump and it's like no no don't jump and you're like oh okay I'll, you didn't just get even off jump then. again yeah. just sort of another letdown but go ahead i'll Tony. just get i'll just get off and then i'll like walk slowly towards you and you can run away and then the cops will watch for a couple minutes to increase the suspense and then they'll move in.
1: (laughs) While mom runs down the bridge with no purse and another beautiful coat for no reason.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, you got to lay off Nicole Kidman. She's trying.
1: Listen, she's. A, this is the thing. Is, Toby's is, defending Nicole. I Kidman. just. I know. I actually. Nicole Kidman was just ranked in this like ranking from like whatever it was, whatever magazine it was, as like the greatest actor post two thousand. Like that, they basically have this ranking of actors based on the things they've been in and like their performances. I don't disagree that she's a very very good actor. She cannot do an American accent for shit. I've said it many times. And if they just let her act and be like an Australian living in America, it would be fine. But Listen, she's it, she it's so distracting. She was married
4: to fucking Tom Cruise. True. Let's just yeah. like give her a little bit of a break. <laughs> she's married to
2: my favorite Keith Urban now though. It's true. That's true. I do love Keith Urban. The only problem
3: is then Donald Sutherland would have to use an Australian accent. That's true. <laughs> that Maybe would actually make worse. the whole thing
4: worth it. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, It's
1: true. laughs> you know what else she's married to? What? Botox in the upper half of her forehead. Oh, my and God.
4: she's married oh, to that yeah. too. Some people were talking
2: about
4: that
1: on the <laughs>
2: but you know that's we have to call also, Kidman alone. But
1: that's also very I have to say, the reason that didn't bother me, and the reason sort of her look, except for the no purse, didn't bother me is because like Upper East Side ladies, man, they have a look, right? Yeah. And like the Pilates upper half of the forehead not moving thing is actually a part of that look. It's a thing we know pretty well. All right. I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out The Undoing on HBO if they haven't yet so far done so? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Undoing on HBO?
2: So originally I was going to go thumbs sideways on this, but I think I'm going thumbs down, the more Mm. that I've thought about it. I just, you know what? This is like there's been so many of these, I call them suburban domestic suspense shows. They're like the Gone Girl spinoffs. And this is the second one we've seen Nicole Kidman in. The last one um, was the California one there. Same thing. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. I feel like that this was teased as like a whodunit mystery thriller suspense sort of show. And I don't think that the payoff is really there. I think they've got a lot of great, actors and actresses in this show but you know what it's it's something to pass the time we are all stuck inside with covid so if you really want to look at some nice uh jackets you might want to check it out Um, outerwear winter is coming so i don't know i there's there's plenty of other things to watch all right so that's a thumbs down laura that's a thumbs down what about you toby ball
4: i'm i'm a thumbs down the one like good thing about it, I think, is that you can be doing other things while it's on and not True. feel like you're missing anything. <laughs> so, like, you know, if you have to leave the room every once in a while, or you're like folding laundry or or whatever, like, you don't have to worry about it too much. But uh, there's got there's got to be something better for you to do.
1: Hmm. What about you, Kevin Flynn?
3: <laughs> I'm also a thumbs down. The mystery is when this mystery is going to occur. It's- Completely one dimensional. The red herrings are just blips that are dropped and never re explored. The plot is utterly predictable. The only way it's unpredictable is that you're waiting for something different to happen and it never really does. It's a decent setup about what's going to be hidden in the first two episodes. I'm like, okay, well, what is the premise here? Mm hmm. As soon as we get going, they never really give me a reason to change my thinking about what's going to happen. Zero misdirection and a thrill less thriller. Huh. Thumbs down
1: yeah i uh, I'm giving this a thumbs down, but I'm gonna like temper that by saying like I'd watch it anyway. If you know what I mean <laughs> like it's it's bad but very watchable. like it's not good and I don't want to give it a thumbs up and have our listeners think like I think this is good. I think it's terrible, but I want you to watch it just because I want you to be able to talk about it with your friends and family <laughs> and me because it's like so bad that it's fun to talk about and the ways that it's bad are actually very interesting. Like, it's interesting to have this amazing cast that includes people like Donald Sutherland and Nicole Kidman and Janelle Maloney in something so terrible. It's amazing that they framed it as a mystery when... It's not. It's amazing that Nicole Kidman never carries a purse in Manhattan. Where does she keep her fucking keys, really? So many things about it are amazing and discussion-worthy that I'm tempted to give it a thumbs up because I want you all to watch it, but I cannot because it's terrible. So I got to go with a thumbs down for the undoing.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
1: Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of, of the week. The week. There will be no more fucking in Austria. <laughs> By the way, I have not read this before, so that was a fun sentence to read. That's right. The 100 residents of the tiny village of Fucking, have finally agreed to change its name. The community has long been a target of ridicule. I wonder why. With tourists taking selfies and stealing signs. Starting January 1st, the village of Fucking will now be called Fugging. (laughs) The F word has no meaning in German and Fugging or Fugging is pretty much the way the townsfolk have pronounced it for the past 1000 years. For those disappointed, they can no longer get a photo with that sign. They just need to visit the two neighboring villages. Oberfucking and underfucking.
3: It's unterfucky.
1: Is that real? Unterfucking. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Oh, my God. So, panel, they are so fucking done with it. (laughs) What should the residents do to celebrate
2: their town's name change? What do you think, Lara Bricker? I think they need to have one last little snog before, uh, you know, (laughs) they move on. (laughs) Little something, something. What do you think, Toby Ball?
4: Uh, I just don't even know where to go with this.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just
4: have some beers, call today.
1: Yeah. What do you think, Kevin?
4: Uh, I think they should go visit
3: the uh, town of uh, Yurkinov and uh, or uh, Vakinit. Yeah. And uh, they should bring their soccer team, the one that has all the blue balls.
1: Nice, nice. I think they should change the town sign, the welcome to fucking sign, and they should paint a. Picture of Johnny and Moira Rose bending over a stream. Oh, in it's Creek. That's right. Welcome oh, <laughs> All right. Before we wrap it up, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, yes, we do. And I think we have some tape, right, Kevin? Yep. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Yeah. It's Carol Baskin from
2: Big Cat Rescue, and I'm nominating Poppy the Bobcat as cat of the week. Yes. Poppy, Poppy. the Bobcat was found on a trail abandoned by his mother. People took him home, thought that he was a domestic cat, found that he was not a domestic cat when they went online, and quickly turned him over to us. So we needed to rewild him up, get him ready for hunting and taking care of himself in the wild, and very shortly he's going to be released back to the wild. He's already hunting and running and looking like a very handsome young bobcat now
1: all right lara bricker if carol baskin wants to reach out to you again to nominate a cat of the week or any other celebrity by the way carol baskin by the way we would really appreciate it if you talk about our podcast to your many millions of fans on your on your youtube channel but yeah. lara bricker if anyone Help wants us to reach out a- carol i know one time one time we said you were wrong you can do us a solid lara bricker how can folks reach out to you on twitter to nominate their cats of the week at uh, lara bricker And of course, they can be dogs. They can be any kind of animal. And you can nominate them on email or Facebook as well. Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you and tell you what other male actors starred in 1990s thrillers, how can they find you on Twitter?
4: at toweball N H
1: and Kevin Flynn if folks want to see a picture of your new haircut and clamor for <laughs> it on Twitter how can they find you
3: I'm at Kevin P Flynn
1: and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram you might also see a picture of Kevin's haircut you can find me at RebLavoy. you can also follow the show on Twitter at crime writers on and I encourage you to join our amazing community and our official crime writers on Facebook discussion group we also have a regular old Facebook page by the way support the show at patreon.com Partners and crime media, and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast. Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we intimidate strangers with our unexpected nudity. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. So guys, I have to tell you something. What? Okay. Olivia Burdett, who you now know is our new line editor after Henry retired yeah. from his line yes. editing position. She asked me a question. I saw her last week. We went for a walk with her mom, who's my friend, and she came along and she asked me a very important question. Okay. She said, do you know that the name of Toby's Book Club podcast has the words balls deep in the middle of it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) What?
1: (laughs) And I was like, yep.
2: That's why we named it that, Olivia Burdett. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. We're corrupting the youth. Yeah.
4: I was talking to the... uh what the hell? I don't even. It was like the Nashua Rotary Club or something about <laughs> podcasting uh, on Zoom. And the guy, like, I'd sent him a bio, and he clearly hadn't read it. And, it, and when he started reading Toby Ball's deep dive, he just started cracking. Up. <laughs> <laughs> it took him, like, 30 seconds to recover. And I, think, I was like looking at the other the other Zoom faces, and nobody seemed to be getting it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: The Rotary, you know. Partners in Crime
3: Media.